Welcome to the podcast. This week's guest is Wade Alberts. Now, you may have caught him on episode 18, where we talked about kind of general massage skills and experiences and advice. This week, we're going to focus in on sport massage. He's going to share from his extensive background, working with professional teams, working with, about the time this podcast airs, his third Olympics. And he served in the roles with covering individual sports, such as swimming, and a little bit about what he'll be doing again this time around and has done previously, where he's been there for Team USA as a whole. So working any of the sports, any of the athletes that come through the, the clinic that's based in the Olympic Village. In addition to that, we're going to cover some of our hallmark questions, beneficial continuing education, how to get into sport massage, or how to further your experiences or get new opportunities in the sport massage field. Of course, he's going to cover probably the most valuable skill in really massage as a whole, but this part of it really with our athletes. And he gets into some great ideas on communication. As he kind of describes it in the podcast, even if you're the most skilled massage therapist as far as the hands-on manual side of it, if you can't communicate with other staff members or with the athletes themselves in an appropriate manner, it's going to be a short-lived career. So he gives us some great advice, some good references on how to build out that communication skill set. But you know what? That's enough out of me. Let's kick it. Welcome to the Massage Tools Podcast, your home for cool interviews and reviews. All right, folks, we are back once again. Wade, thank you for joining us. This time we're going to delve into some more of the sport massage therapy or that side of the industry. So starting things off, kind of the quick quick questions once again, how long have you been or how long would you have described yourself as being in sport massage? Well, I've been a licensed massage therapist since 1995, um, but my training at Nebraska Wesleyan, I was able to bring some of my teammates on the track team in and work with them as partial credit. So I've been working with athletes since maybe 93 um, under the supervision of a licensed massage therapist, of course. Okay, okay. So, so in the previous episode, you talked about being an athlete, having an injury, sport massage was kind of that crux that got you back to competing, and that's what got you really to, to explore massage as a whole and take you down down the route kind of to where you're at now. You've had experience with lots of teams, but will you kind of, in addition to like your experience as an athlete, but what, what helped you break into sport massage? That is a great question. Yeah, so I was an athlete in, in college at Nebraska Wesleyan. Um, as part of our licensing requirements of the state of Nebraska, we had to work under the license of uh, a massage therapist. And I did that and um, worked out of her office uh, for a number of hours. And she had a, a working relationship with a college swim team. And um, they needed some help at uh, like their conference swim meet. And so they enlisted me to help with that. Uh, that was my entry into swimming in particular. But uh, after that uh, four-day weekend of working with those athletes, I had um, another chance to work with them on a more regular basis. So under her tutelage and her license, um, we would go to their swimming pool and do some work with them almost once a week. And um, 
so that that was a that was a great experience to not just be a one and done kind of a thing, but work with an athlete or a group of athletes from one week to the next to the next, and get that feedback. Like here are some changes that happened, or here's what I I felt in the water from that session to this one to the and into the next one. So that was that was the the entry for me to actually working with the team, but. I think the biggest leap forward for me was when I moved to Dallas, Texas. Um, soon after I graduated college, I went down there um, with everything that I owned in my little sports car, and, which wasn't much, and uh, just started knocking on doors. And I, I had a, a prolific uh, swim school in the Dallas area that let me um, volunteer with, the, with their athletes. And uh, looking back on it, I thought uh, I was rather bold in, in making that cold call and uh, them for for taking a chance on me working with, with their athletes. Um, massage was something that up until then they had maybe at a national championship kind of a event or a conference event, but they hadn't had that on a regular basis. So when I would get done with my day job, like at the day spa that I was working at, I would bring my table to the swim pool and set it up. And of course the first night nobody showed up. And the next night, uh, a, a very good swimmer on the team who's from Eastern Europe who was used to massage therapy uh, came in, where have you been all my life, kind of a thing. And I got to work with her, and then she told some of her teammates. And the next night, more of the teammates came in. And then pretty soon, it was just a little cottage industry that I had. So from 5.30 to 10 o'clock at night, I was just working on swimmers. And then the swimmers told the basketball team, and the basketball team told the tennis team, and Pretty soon I had a pretty um, uh, robust group of athletes and then their coaches introduced themselves to me and then the sports medicine staff, you know, who are you, what are you doing, show us what you're doing. Um, and so that started in, in August of, of 1996 and until May I put in hundreds of hours. And uh, my advice to somebody that really wanted to break in is into the sports massage world is Start working with athletes, man, and do it with some regularity because it's that feedback that we get that lets us kind of not just work on our skill set, but also get to understand the differences between one athlete and another. These are athletes that are swimming for the same coaches, uh, often doing the exact same events, so therefore the same workouts, and they would react just a little bit differently. This one needs a little less pressure. This one needs more, and I get better luck uh, doing this than that. And, and you start to understand how individualized this work can be and really should be to, to be its best. And honestly, as, as I look back at my career, I realize that that was such an important part of my development is just working on as many athletes as possible and getting that feedback and then getting that trust. And then from there, um, I started getting invitations from that from the swim team to go to the, the conference meet and then the NCAA meet and then the Olympic trials and, and what have you. And then other other teams on campus would try to figure out how they could best utilize me. So I actually started making money doing it. And um, from then, uh, they... Can I pause you for sure, a So sure. when you were doing that work initially, you were volunteering your time. It was yes. unpaid. You were just putting in some dirt time to get train yourself really yeah. and get your hands you know tuned to the way they needed to be but you weren't making a whole lot of money do, or no money initially doing that yeah you know, what, what I should have said is when I had that initial meeting with the swim coaches uh, they knew the coaches that I had worked with previously and some of the athletes I'd worked with 
Um, but they said, you know, they just didn't have a budget to pay me for my services. And at the time, they had a therapist that had already been working with them at the conference and, and NC2A meets and were quite happy with that therapist. And uh, I actually went home and slept on it and decided to go back the next day. And I said, well, uh, what if I volunteered some time? So it was my idea. And I didn't know that they would say yes or not. And I didn't know how many hours I would try to squeeze in or not, or if it would die on the vine. I had no idea if it would work. But uh, like I said, it just it just slowly built and progressed and then started rolling. And, uh, you know, a few months later, I'm actually being paid. And so the, the amount of time and effort that I put into it, I've gotten so much more out of it in both skill development and opportunities to be employed to do this kind of work. Okay. Would you say that there's, like, advice for, for newer folks that want to work in that sport realm is, like, got to be willing to, to give or volunteer a little bit to get things rolling? Yes, and uh, I know that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. You know, maybe they put themselves through massage school or they got a family to raise and need to make some money. Um, and, and it is tough, and it's, it's, it's quite a sacrifice. But I just don't know of any shortcut into getting good at working with an athletic population than working on athletes. And again, we're in the trust business first and foremost, and we have to show that we're trustworthy. We'll show up when we say we're going to show up, and we're not going to harm them. And, um, and you know, then there's, there's the HIPAA end of things where we don't talk about who we work with or what we see when we're on the table or what we hear when, we're, when they're on the table. So once you've established that, then they're like, you know, Kelly Cox is a, is, is a good therapist and a good person, and, and he does what he says and says what he says he's going to do. So in addition to, like, the raw you know, just pure time in trade. Is there anything from like an educational standpoint that kind of helped further your skills um, after you've kind of honed in on what to actually do with your hands and what works for the different tissues? Was there continuing education that really helped kind of foster this more or? Yes, I mean, I, I, we, we talked about some of the some of the courses that I took in the in the other podcast. Um, so make sure you check that out. I'm sure you have a link to it somewhere. And um, so not to not to go down that particular road again. There's always something to be learned, uh, whether it's a, a massage specific CEU, or I had talked about uh, even George Davies courses where it comes from physical therapy or something that uh, an orthopedist is put on or. Um, a CSCS kind of a training. There's always something to learn in there. Um, the other the other piece of advice that I would give, and maybe the bigger piece beyond that, is um, networking with those people and building relationships with them. We're at a, a national championship event filming this, and I get to work with the Kelly Coxes of the world and a whole list of other people that we bring our experiences forward and we talk about a course that we just took and we're excited about. Um, and it makes me want to go to all of those. But in the meanwhile, I get to watch Kelly work with his athletes and see it in real time. And I'm at the next table. I can still hear uh, their feedback as to how they, how it helped from, from the previous day or the previous week and whatnot. Uh, the, the biggest learning that I get and then outside of, of actual continuing ed credits is um, uh, when I'm traveling with our Olympic staff or with I'm with the USA uh, 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 swimming team 
we have a doctor on staff, we have a Cairo, ATC, massage. Um, we're working side by side with all these athletes and and every morning before breakfast, we have a quick meeting. What did you see yesterday? Who did you work with? What kinds of techniques did you do? And what kind of feedback are you getting? Because tomorrow you might go to the swimming pool and I might stay behind and have to work on that athlete. I need to know what continuity of care there is. And I, I could almost write a book on all the stuff that I learned from all the people that I get to go on these, these trips with. And, um, and then you take that wealth of knowledge and then you go to the next CEU that Kelly recommended. And, mm -hmm. and you look at everything through a little bit different prism. Uh, one of the things that I've done in the last four or five years is I go back to some of the texts that I looked at when I was first either in school or right out of school. Uh, Dr. Travell's books mm -hmm. or, um, or uh, Anatomy Trains, for example. And I go back and reread those. But before I read them, I want to take some notes and write down all the things that I think I remember or think that I know about that topic. Mm -hmm. And then go back in and reread it. And that kind of gives you a roadmap as to, yeah, I was spot on about that, or, oh my goodness, I completely forgot about this, or the content is the exact same, but the context has changed because I've been out there and done that and seen this in action. So the education of, of, of a massage therapist, not much in the education of a person, period. It's um, finding new content that's out there, but revisiting what we think we know because knowledge does evolve and change. Uh, I'd ask you, uh, what's changed in our profession? What, what's something that was tried and true when you were in school and now they're like, eh, I'm just not sure about that. Yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit prior to coming in, but there's a couple big ones. And a, you know, for sport massage, the biggest is like flushing lactic acid. Right. Like, well, we know that's not physiologically what happens and what's going on. It's we need to get that. That needs to go. go right, right. Leave leave the field, leave the, the vernacular, and um, that's a common one. And then, you know, mechanical model of what's going on with, like, a myofascial release. It's, it's not mechanically laced. We know there's other mechanisms or there's theories on other mechanisms on why touching the skin is doing what we think it's doing, but we're not breaking and stretching and tearing fascia with our fingertips. It would be uh, inhuman in our capability and and inhumane for the client for that to actually be happening yeah so. you know one of my pet peeves and it's not just in this field but in general are uh, people say well we we do it this way because we've always done it this way good good heavens that that is that is so uh outside of the way that i look at the world um, i'm always questioning myself what do i what do i know and what do i think i know and is there a better way mm -hmm. out there and i don't know how else to do it other than uh, collaborating with other massage therapists and doctors and even even sports psych people uh, figure out you know what's what's out there and how can I become better at what I'm doing you know it's there's things that are tried and true that we need to stick to but then we also have to be willing to uh, push the envelope just a little bit um, I had a chance to work in uh, in Budapest Hungary this last fall and I was there for six weeks because of COVID um, they condensed uh, our season into a six-week uh, time frame, and we were all into a bubble. And so we were locked almost literally in, in a um, hotel together. And Can't pause. When you say in Budapest, that was with the International Swim League? Yeah, International Swim League, and I, I was working with the Cali Condors. And um, 
while I was there, I had an opportunity to kind of push the envelope just a little bit and be um, a little bit outside of the box, if you will, uh, and try some different techniques and things that I usually don't get to do if I'm just with an athlete for a week at a time, like we are at this national championship. But when I'm with them for six weeks, we can try a few different things. And as long as I'm not hurting them, you know, we can try this. And there were six competitions within six weeks. So we had the feedback, not just of how are you feeling today, mm -hmm. but is that showing up in the, in the pool? Range of motion, um, your performance and, and, and whatnot. And that was an accelerated deep dive learning experience for me that I, I got to really dial in and figure out what does Kelly Cox need you know, to uh, to get him through what he's dealing with right now, because that's going to be different than what Wade is dealing with, and um, it's been that was really good for me to kind of test what I think I know and 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 kind of push in a different direction and uh, continue trying to experiment a little bit. I looked at those six weeks as a lab, mm -hmm. and um, luckily it, it went well, and the athletes had a very good experience, and my team won a world championship, so it was nice to be a part of that. It's always, a, it's always fun when you can be with the team when they're winning. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm thrilled that they asked me back. Awesome. You, you've kind of, in our other questions, talked about a lot of the pros of being on a sports team, that kind of interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary model where you're working with a doc, you're working with an athletic trainer, chiropractor, et cetera, et cetera, you know, getting that lab opportunity, being with them with a championship. Are there, are there any, like, cons or things you might want to – I don't want to say warn people about, but give them a good, clear picture of, like, you showed us what's great about being mm. in sport massage, things that they need to know, the realities of it. Are, yes. are there anything you put in that? Absolutely, I can. Sure. Uh, for example, um, if you travel with the, uh, the Olympic Committee, the USOPC, uh, most of that is, is volunteer time. So those who are going to be there, and whether they're doctors, ATCs, and, and the like, uh, they're, we're all volunteering our time. Our, our, our way is paid. Uh, we get all the swag, uh, which is which is it's nice. almost worth it. Right and, and the experience of working with quality therapists and physicians and coaches and athletes. But at the end of the day, you're gone for four weeks and you're not you're not making anything for that time. That's a deal breaker for a lot of people, and mm -hmm. I understand that. And it's a sacrifice that all of us have to make if you want to do it. In fact, it's almost like saving up for the vacation of a lifetime. You, you better start squirreling some money away so that you can enjoy those experiences and still be able to pay your rent when you come home. That's, that's maybe the biggest one, and a, there's a lot of good therapists that take themselves out of, their names out of the hat because there's, I, I can't do that. Right. I can't. I can't make that happen financially. I can't make that kind of a sacrifice. That's probably the biggest one. The second one is uh, the hours that we work. Um, the the two Olympic games that I've worked, um, it's almost sun up to sundown plus, and for weeks on end. Um, there's a lot of good therapists with great hands-on skills, but and that's important. But I think the, the bigger part of being a part of that kind of a team is you have to have a, a personality, you have to have an affability, you have to have flexibility and a willingness to do a lot of work because everybody's great on day one, two, and three. But what's it look like on day 20? You know, you're tired, you're physically tired, you miss your family, you're homesick. Um, 
And uh, can you put that aside and still put on a happy face and, and, and not let the athletes that are relying on you pick up on, well, Kelly's just not himself today. You know, he seems kind of cranky. You don't want to be that person that's you're not as good of a team player or you're taking away from the team chemistry that's going on there. That's tough. And you don't know how you're going to react at weeks three and four until you're put into that situation. And uh, we find out pretty quickly um, how that works out. So those are two of the biggest um, hurdles uh, to, to doing that kind of work. Are there any other um, bits of wisdom or advice you'd like to share in regards to sport massage? Yeah, so we talk about the, the, the hands-on skills and, and, and communicating with uh, the other practitioners. I think most people understand that. Um, I would encourage people that um, want to work with high-quality athletes become cognizant of um, how important it is to be careful about your communication with an athlete. I was at an Olympic trials uh, several years ago, and I, I didn't I didn't hear the exchange, but um, a therapist that was volunteering with an athlete, a young athlete who'd never really had any work done before. Um, had 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 an issue i believe it was a shoulder issue and there was laxity and and crepitus and noises going on in there which is common for that population but the therapist um it, it startled the therapist and they told the athlete that they were concerned about them and and uh kind of got in their head inadvertently mm-hmm. about their concern for their shoulder and their health and and, and well-being and so the athlete was pretty rattled getting off the table and went and told their coach, and the coach was less than happy with the therapist. The unfortunate part is I think the therapist had, had their heart in the right place and, and true concern. I mean, we're, we're caretakers, right? Um, but that is not the time nor the place to talk to an athlete mm-hmm. like that about, oh, hey, you're, you, you maybe should not swim today or I'm concerned about you because it was not life-threatening. This was not a contraindication for them to not compete, but in in their trying to care for this athlete, probably said a few things that, that took them out of their game a little bit, and the, the coach was, was absolutely beside him or herself, I can't even remember. Um, I think it's important to understand what's appropriate to, to say to these athletes and um, and to stay out of the psychology of what they're dealing with. Do you feel that your background as a, an All-American collegiate athlete, that you had some semblance of what communication, like maybe whatever styles worked for you, that's helped you in your communicating as a massage therapist with athletes? Or have there been some kind of resource that you've leaned on to be like, oh, you know, this is a better way to communicate with athletes at these times? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's multi-layered, so I'll try to walk through this. When I was first doing this work, and I was 23, I think, when I graduated with my degree, um, I felt like I had an instant um, credibility or kinship with the athletes, especially when they were dealing with an injury. That was me. So when an athlete talks about the frustrations of being injured, and not just the pain of the injury, but um, the idea that not being able to compete is worse than finishing dead last in whatever you're doing. Because at least if I'm finishing last, I'm competing. And that's a hard pill to swallow for somebody that's competitive. I get you. I was there. There's other parts of it, like um, 
it can be frustrating dealing with teammates or coaches and, you know, so when are you going to get over this injury or we need you back and I'm doing as, as much as I can that, you know, again, I don't want to, I don't want to step into a lane that I'm not, not supposed to be, but if you could just kind of share who you are and where you came from and Hey, I've been there. I, you know, this was my story and this is how I got through it. All they want to know is that somebody out there is listening to them and, kind of has a basic understanding of this and oh well what did you do well i did this i got a massage <laughs> yeah, yeah um the other thing is uh when for with usa swimming but for covid years um, we have an annual meeting in colorado springs and it's not just hands-on therapists it's it's doctors and, and and the like but we also have like sports psych that is involved in that through the usopc or some some other people that come in from the outside and have actually talked to us about, um, you know, how to deal with, with athletes that are, you know, because we hear a lot on the table. Mm -hmm. You know, we are the bartender that doesn't serve drinks or the hairstylist that won't cut your hair. You know, we hear a lot. And, you know, we have to understand where that line is and not try to be their coach or be their sports psych, you know, and sometimes just listen. One of the best things that I've done is um, – I was turned on to a book written by a guy named Chris Voss. And uh, what's the name here? Never Split the Difference. And I know I've shared it with you. And uh, Chris uh, worked for the FBI as, an, as a lead hostage negotiator. And he talks about um, how our, the way that we communicate uh, is best exemplified by uh, what he calls tactical empathy. Like people just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And there are ways that you can talk to somebody that they understand that you are actually listening to me. I can't make, solve all your problems, but I'm, but I'm a pretty good listener. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's, that's enough for people. And, you know, if they uncover something that you need to know or, or something that another professional needs to know, you know, our, we have a sports psych on our staff and we can communicate that with them that this person needs to um, needs to visit with you, and, it, and it's worked out. So some of it's been formal training that the USOPC and uh, USA Swimming has provided us, and others like Chris Voss's book and the work that he does is something I've done on my own. And I don't like the word hack, but he's he's really given me some tools that's that's helped me uh, break down some of those walls and establish some quick trust with uh, with the athletes. And I think I think that's the other piece. If if you want to be good at this, you have to learn those soft skills. And in order to better communicate with um, other other therapists, coaches, athletes, and the like. Wade, thanks again for joining us. Thanks Appreciate for having me. All right, everyone, that does end the episode. If you're looking for show notes or references, or you're just looking for more content from us, you can visit our website, which is www.massagetoolspodcast.com for all of your Massage Tools podcast needs. Last but not least, we got uh, two things. One's a recommendation. Hit that subscribe button to whichever podcast service you're using so you get our latest episodes. And if you'd like to, give us a review. Uh, help spread the word a little bit. Get our podcast out there so we can help inspire and motivate the industry. That's going to end it for us. So good day, good evening, and good night.